Sleep good, I trust. I um, wanted to just take a moment to uh, share with you a picture of my family. I um, wish they could be here with me. I was looking for a picture. I just had to pull one from our recent trip up to New, New England and Canada. But uh, my wife, like uh, it was said yesterday, she's an identical twin. Myself, an identical twin as well. We uh, are both seven minutes apart. <laughs> and uh, Tina's the older twin, and I'm of her twin sister, and I'm the younger twin of my twin brother who passed away in the Georgia Cumberland plane crash uh, back in 04. Um, when we had Jason, our oldest son, there on the left, uh, I, uh, we thought, we got to do something about this. That kid's alone. <laughs> and having always had a sibling, I tell you, it's a gift from God. I'll always treasure, even though I lost him. But uh, it's a special thing to have somebody that you can grow up with and go through all the stages and, and experiences of, of childhood and, and youth. Um, it's a gift from God. So these two are about 16 months apart, and uh, first and second grade, yeah, first and second grade, they're eight and nine years of age. We live out in the country. We feel blessed to have a great church and a great uh, community in which to live in a very rural setting. Um, somebody asked me yesterday, you know, I hear that you all do some interesting things at Greenville. What do you do? And I'll just share with you briefly. I don't know that it's all that unique, but. Um, I would say that I feel like we are blessed immensely with an, uh, a special church. Of course, everybody thinks their church is special, but that's the way it should be, I suppose. Um, we have a, a great team of different physicians of various uh, specialties. And uh, what's exciting is that as a whole, we all share the same passion. In fact, I know some of us have often talked about how we feel like we're on the same page. That's sometimes unique in some, in some cases. And, and so we just, um, you know, I, I can't take any credit. It's just there's a passion that's burning within our members' hearts. So what do we do? Well, we have um, what we call how-to classes. It allows members, whether they're doctors or, or just, uh, you know, a blue-collar worker, it allows everybody to bring their specialty to the table. And so throughout the year, scattered throughout the various months, we like to have classes on everything from how to cut hair to... Um, how to paint, to how to build a greenhouse, to grow a garden, to uh, photography. If you want to have, a, if you've got somebody in your church, I like photography, and and so I just teach a class. You know, you don't have to be an expert; you just have to know something about it. Amen. Um, you, everybody's got Google. Instead of looking at kittens and um, cute little pictures on Facebook, um, you know, learn something and teach it. And um, and so we, I, I've been amazed at photography classes. How you can just bring in swarms of people. I mean, literally, uh, you can get a good crowd just with a simple ad in a paper because um, everybody wants to learn how to use their camera that they bought. Um, and so we have those kind of classes. We have, of course, Diabetes Undone. We've, we've done many years of CHIP. Uh, we have a cycle of evangelism, which I encourage, I think, every church, if you don't have a cycle of evangelism, I mean a, a planting and a harvest on a regular basis, then um, you're missing out on the joys that God wants to afford you. Um, so I don't know. There's there's other things. I'm, sh- I'm sure we, we we seek to take advantage of our guests when they come on Sabbath morning, um, reaching out, giving them um, something to remember their first experience by, and um, try to have fellowship dinners regularly. You know, it's just basic things. But uh, God is blessing, and seeds are being planted. Appalachia is not the easiest culture to uh, bring about change, but um, we're planting seeds, and we trust that Jesus is coming very soon.
And when the people see these things coming about as they thought, oh, you know, I think I heard something about that in a meeting I attended. Um, we've been blessed. You know, I, I'm amazed. We send out 26,000, 28,000 brochures. Um, I still believe in a brochure because um, there's always people that come that ne never came any other way. Granted, it's always best to plant that seed in the heart first through personal contact, but don't, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. And so um, we send out those brochures. We get a good crowd. And I'm telling you, the people keep coming. Uh, yes, it's always, of course, that there's going to be some that leave after you cover those testing truths. But even though they don't all accept in the end, the fact that we have oftentimes we've had 50% at near the end of the series still coming. I know those seeds are planted. God's in charge of that final um, harvest. And uh, we just do what we can. Amen? So God is good. I'm thankful to be at Greenville. Great group of people. Um. Isn't it strange that princes and kings, clowns that caper in sawdust rings, and common folk like you and me are the builders of eternity? To each is given a bag of tools, a shapeless mass, and a book of rules. And each must make, ere time is flown, a stumbling block or a stepping stone. I want you to ponder that this morning as we consider this radical love. Are you a stumbling block or a stepping stone? Let us pray. Lord, we need your presence. As I talked with you this morning, I'm reminded that, Lord, um, in order for your glory to show forth, I must reflect you. And I just pray that in spite of me, in spite of the clumsy um, uh, ways that I could have, would you just please, for the sake of the people gathered here, for all of us, would you fill this place with angels and just send extras? Lord, would you just fill our hearts with your spirit? Wash away all the things that could distract, or the sins that have so um, often... Uh, plagued us, and may we just, for these special moments, bask in your presence through the power of your testimony. We all are sitting at your feet with eager anticipation. In Jesus' sweet name, amen. Revelation 3.17, it says, because you say I am rich, this is the Laodicean church, this is us. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, do you not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked? It says that uh, we feel rich, but we really are in um, desperate condition. If you look at James chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Listen, my beloved, beloved brethren, has God not chosen who? Not the rich the poor of this world, to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him. Here we see the connection between being um, rich and poor and, and the notion of faith connected with love. We're talking about radical love this morning. Galatians 5 verse 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. 
John 13, you know these passages, but just reviewing, setting the stage here this morning. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As who? As I have loved you. We're talking about a high caliber of love here. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This, as we talked about yesterday in Hebrews chapter 10, when we talked about drawing near in faith, um, um, the the hope that we must uh, absorb, and, and then considering one another in love. This morning, we want to dig deeper into this radical love that God calls his people to. I want to, if you have your Bibles, to encourage you to go to Matthew 17. And I want to invite you to read with me um, this account in Matthew 17. Now, I want to say that as you turn there, this story in Matthew 17 is um, taking place about seven to eight months before Jesus will be crucified. Um, This is, um, Jesus has been ministering in Galilee, but he's ready for some quiet solitude with his disciples. He's been ministering to the multitudes, now he wants to minister to his church, right? If you didn't have Matthew 18, you wouldn't be ready for Matthew 28. If you don't have this, you're not going to be ready for the gospel commission. So Jesus wants to to really hone in because it's clear the disciples still don't get the nature of his kingdom or his mission. Notice his words to them here in Matthew 17. And I want you to notice verse 24. Yes, verse 24. When they had come to... Oh, can we... I don't have it on the screen, but notice verse 22 first. Now, while they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And the third day he will be raised up, and they were exceedingly sorrowful. I want you to note that Matthew 17, this section, and Matthew 18 occur on the same day. That's important. That's very important. And I want you to notice that what is said here, Jesus is trying to instill in them. This is the foundation for where we're going in the study. Jesus is trying to establish for them that, folks, my kingdom is one of sacrifice. My mission is one of sacrifice. With that in mind, I want you to notice verse 24. When they had come to Capernaum, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the temple tax? Now, we need to make sure we understand the tone here. The Greek tells us that that you is plural here. So, being from Tennessee, having been born in North Carolina, let me just put this in our vernacular. And he's saying it in a a, um, positive type tone. He's saying, uh, um, assuming that, that the answer is yes. It's kind of like this. Y'all's teacher pays the temple tax, doesn't he? You understand now? That cleared it up, didn't it? Um, Verse 25. Y'all's teacher pays the temple tax, doesn't he? Now, Now, let me also say this. This is not when tax, this is not April 15. You understand what I'm saying? This is not tax time. Peter knows that by this question being put to him like this, that something's up. This is not when you collect taxes. And you also need to understand that when taxes were collected, that that it was expected. This was really more like a toll, but it was really a donation. It was an offering. And so, but it was expected. It's kind of like a suggested donation, but you know that really means you better come up with the money, right? 
And, and so it was a donation, but if you're a good Jew, you're going to pay the, you're going to offer, give the offering. But if you're a, a Levite, if you're a Pharisee, I mean, a, a, um, a priest or a prophet, you are exempt. Now, I hope you, you're getting the weight of this question now. If you're a priest or a prophet, you, you don't have to pay. So, the, the, so this guy comes up, says, Peter, um, you know, y'all's priest, I mean, y'all's, uh, Jesus pays the temple tax, doesn't he? And, and, and notice what Peter, Peter's got to think quick, but Peter's known to kind of speak up fast, right? Notice what he says. And, oops, I turned pages. He said, yes. And when he had come into the house, so Peter says, yes. He says, yes. And, and then it says, and when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him. Don't you love that? I mean, can, can you picture this? Peter's just had this encounter. He's scratching his head. He's, he's, un, he's uncomfortable. Jesus walks, he walks in and Jesus looks at him and it's like, oh, he knows all about it. <laughs> Notice what he says. Jesus says, um, I keep turning the page, sorry. There must be a breeze up here. Um, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes from their sons or from strangers Peter what, what do you think Peter knows he knows I mean it's just like Jesus would been there the whole time and so Peter you know does a son have to pay the tax you know you know what he's getting at right I mean does, does Jesus who is not just a prophet who's not just a priest but is the son of God does he have to pay tax well well no notice what Peter says Peter said to him, from strangers, Jesus said unto him, then the sons are free. A stranger pays tax. A son, no. No, a son doesn't pay tax. Then notice verse 26. Whoops. I... Peter said to him, from strangers, Jesus said, then the sons are free. Notice verse 27. Nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, and take the fish that comes up first. And when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and for you. Now, when he says, lest we offend. Lest we offend. Remember verses 22 and 23 tells us that we're talking. The context here is sacrifice. Of, of being a servant. A sacrificial service. And then he says, lest we offend. This is the same word that's going to be used throughout Matthew, eight, Matthew 18. It's the same word for stumbling block. Lest we offend. Lest we serve as a stumbling block. What? Pay the tax. Yes, I'm more than a prophet. Yes, I'm more than a priest. But Jesus, as is classic with Jesus, he humbles himself. He says, let's pay. Unless you think this is self-serving. He's paying this tax for at least two reasons. One, for Peter. He says, get the money for me and you. And then two, he's doing it for the sake of the people who've accused him. Lest we offend. It's not for Jesus' sake. He didn't owe the tax, but he's doing it lest he offend. We're talking about radical love, right? Notice where this goes. Matthew 18, verse 2. Verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child to him and set him in the midst of them and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, 
Whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Now, now catch this. The disciples are talking amongst each other. Who's, who's going to be greatest in the kingdom? And, and Jesus hears them. He's walking a little ways ahead, but he hears the discussion. Kind of like parents hearing what the kids are talking about in the back seat, right? They don't really think about it, but he's hearing. And, and, and so they say, well, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? And then, then Jesus says, I tell you, it's not about who's greatest. I'm telling you, you're not going to even be there. Are you with me? You're not going to even be there if you don't become like one of these little child. And inspiration tells us he, he took a child and put it in a, like, what do you call that? That. Right there, the crook of his arm. Unless you become like one of these, humble. Unless you, you humble yourself, you're not going to be the greatest in the kingdom. You're not going to be there. Because he says in verse 4, whoever humbles himself as this little child. It's clear what the issue is. That's the likeness unto the child. If you become humble like the child, then you will be in the kingdom. But if not, you're not going to even be there. And whoever receives, the same word is, is likened unto welcome. Whoever welcomes one of these little children, receives them. In my name, receives me. Notice it's in my name. In other words, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, if you do this in my name, if you humble yourself and receive them, welcome them. They're weaker than you, okay? They're weaker. This is important. They're humble. They're weak. If you receive them, if you welcome them, you can have a place in the kingdom. If not, notice verse 6. This gets pretty intense. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin. I thought we were just talking about welcoming them. Are you with me? I thought we were just talking about receiving them. But if you don't receive them, if you don't welcome notice what he says. He says, if you cause the little, one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him... Not for the little one, but for the one who caused him to sin. To have, for him, if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. I mean, that's pretty intense, right? That's like going to somebody's church. I heard one preacher say, you know, he said, just imagine going into a church and it says, we welcome everybody. But if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, we're going to throw you in the sea with a millstone around your neck. Wow. Better sit up and pay attention, Right? This is serious business. And you know, come on, if you're a parent, you know exactly what he's talking about. If your child is in the church, just go follow this. If your child is in the church and somebody causes that child to step into sin, pornography or, or alcohol or whatever, you're going to be pretty hot under the collar, right? Yeah, I can start to relate to this millstone thing now, Right? Jesus, this is serious business. And notice verse 7. It says, Woe to the world because of offenses. Woe to the world because of stumbling blocks. For a, a stumbling block, I mean an offense, must come. But woe to that man by whom the offense, the stumbling block, comes. 
If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into the lame, into life lame or maimed, rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, cast it, f- it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into the lake of into hellfire. Now. We often, you know, and rightfully so, apply this to the personal life. We're always about personal, right? Personal salvation, personal devotion, like personal. I mean, there's a place for personal, but there's also a place for corporate. Amen? And if you look at the context of chapter 18, and you look at where this goes later on. Remember, this is all the same day. And you look at where this goes. It goes into later in chapter 18. What do we often refer to or think of when we talk about Matthew 18? The Matthew 18 model. Right? You go to your neighbor first, then, and then bring an elder, and then you, then you take it before the church. We're talking about the discipline in the church, right? How we maintain order, how we maintain unity, how we protect the weaker one, right? So, so catch this. If, if there's one in the church being a stumbling block, causing offense, we're talking about radical love this morning. If there's someone in the church causing offense, causing a brother or sister to stumble, it's better that they be cut off. And you say, well, let's talk about feet and hit. Peter, I mean, Paul made this clear, right? 1 Corinthians 12, in the context, it's clear. It's better that we cut that part of the body off than harm the whole body. Amen? Are you with me? Okay. Maybe this is, anyway, I I find this quite fascinating. Notice verse 10. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. You know, I just preached recently on angels. And I was just reminded, I mean, you know, read, look at that book by Ellen White, you know, angels. Um. We all have an angel. You remembered that, I know, but we tend to forget it sometimes, don't we? And, 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 and these little ones that we might cause offense to, I'm talking about the weaker brother. They have an angel and they have connections. Verse 11. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost, the weaker brother. Okay, with all of that said, let's make this a little bit more personal. Romans 14, you know this passage. Romans 14. Okay, Romans 14, 1. Notice, now follow this. This is something, y'all. Y'all, I, it came out. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. Receive one. Didn't we just hear about receiving and welcoming? Right? If you don't receive one of these little ones, right? Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes. There's clearly a connection between this and Matthew 18. But, but not to disputes over, or, or debate over doubtful things. In other words, dispute, debate, same concept. Don't be debating over doubtful things. We love to debate, don't we? Sometimes we call it Sabbath school, but we, we love to debate, don't we? For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. 
Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. Now, the, the this discussion here is a little bit vague as far as what we're talking about specifically. Some think that it's probably the Judaizers trying to maintain these ceremonial laws and that this is the debate. Others think it could possibly be the meat sacrifice to idols issue. It doesn't matter which one it is. The principle is still the same. And for the sake of illustration, let me use the meat sacrifice to idols to explain. If someone thinks that it's wrong to eat this because it could have been sacrificed to an idol, then that's okay. That's their conscience. But if, if they think, well, you know, um, it doesn't matter, then, then that's okay. We're going to come to that in a minute. I'm getting ahead of the game. But you understand, he's saying, don't argue over the point. Receive one another. Uh, let, let, me, let me have you look at verse 4 more carefully. My papers keep turning. Oh, here we go. Verse 4. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. He, no, I'm sorry, verse 3. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat, what? Judge him who eats, for God has received him. Can I just put this in a little bit more easy to understand term? And I hate to use these terms, but I think we all know what we're talking about when we use these terms. So I, I guess use those terms. If let's, let's do it with those terms. Let not him who is more liberal in their views despise him who is more conservative in their view. And let not him who does not... I'm sorry, and let not him who is more conservative judge him who is more liberal in his view. Does that make it a little bit more relevant? Right? For who are you to judge another servant? Remember, I can look at someone's actions, but I really don't know the motives of the heart, right? And when we talk about perfection in these last days, we're talking about complete surrender to Christ, right? Right? And so we may not all look exactly alike, but God knows the heart. And if it's fully surrendered for all the light he or she has been given, who am I to judge them? Are we with, are we with each other here, right? Folks, the church is struggling right now, isn't it? There's a lot of discussion going around. We could use Romans 14 right about now, right? I'm not saying that truth goes out the window. I'm not saying principle goes out the window. I'm not saying that at all. But we must tread very, very carefully. Notice... I'm not going to read the whole chapter for sake of time, but notice verse 7. Verse 7 says, For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. We're a body. Like it or not, we're a body. Verse 12, So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block. Not to put a stumbling block or an offense or a cause to fall in your brother's way. 
I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. If your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your plate, I'm sorry, your food, the one for whom Christ died. You say, well, I have every right. It is my right. I get so tired. We, we say that too much, don't we? It is my right to eat this, to wear this, to go to this. It's my right. It's only your right as long as, one, you're, you're clear with God, amen, and you're not causing your brother to stumble. Listen, I would say Facebook has been one of the most dangerous things in this arena. It has opened the gates, hasn't it? it is, can I say this? It's not even my right to post certain things when I know I have certain friends that will be offended on my, on my, on my what, friends list. For you, those of you not familiar with Facebook, just don't worry about it. <laughs> I bear a responsibility to God because he gave his life for that weaker brother. Verse 19, therefore, let us pursue the things which made for peace, which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Do you have, do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy he is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. What may be sin for you may not be sin for me. Do you understand what I'm saying? God reads the heart. Sin is sin. Don't, I'm not talking about relativism here. I, please, don't... I hope that didn't come out. But what is God has convicted you on, he maybe hasn't convicted me. You could say, well, you're just, not, you're, you're just, you're, you're just turning your, a blind eye. You can't know what I'm thinking, amen? I can't know what... Let's quit judging one another. Let's stand for truth, stand for principle. But let's not judge the motives of our brothers and sisters. And let's not cause offense unnecessarily. Notice 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. I have to say um, I am passionate about this subject. Because as a pastor, and, and you could say probably as a, as a physician or as just a, a member in your congregation. If you stop and think about it, this is one of the big problems we face. Amen? I mean, come on. Do we not all struggle with this? Thanks for helping me out there. <laughs> Pray for me, I guess. Notice 1 Corinthians 8. Let's go a little deeper. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 4. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, 
We know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we for him and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we are all things and through whom we live. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge for some with consciousness of the idol, until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But food does not condemn us or commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. But beware lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a what? Stumbling block. To those who are weak. Let's just review. What happens to those who cause offense to a child such as this? Better if a, what? A millstone be put around his neck and he be cast into the sea. It's not a matter of where you're going to be in the, uh, in the greatness of heaven. You won't be there. This is serious. Now, where was I? Verse... Um, Verse 10, for if anyone sees you who have knowledge of eating in an idol's temple, you know, it's one thing if you put it in your cart at the grocery store, but if you go to the temple and eat it there, there's no question, right? I mean, you know, it's not like, well, what does the label say? We know how to read labels, right? It's, it's this, if you go to the temple, it, it, Paul's really putting it on thick here. Verse 10, if anyone sees you, have, have not, sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And you say, but there's nothing wrong with eating the food offered to idols. It is if it's something that goes against your conscience, Right? Verse 11, and because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Just think on that for a moment. We've got matters before us, in perhaps in your local church, and yes, before us as a worldwide church. And if only the conversation would shift more within these lines, amen? It's not about rights. We're all here to serve sacrificially. Is it worth it? Is whatever the agenda may be, is it worth it really? Is it building up and edifying the body of Christ? We're almost home. We're almost home. Do we have to major in the minors? We're almost home. Again, let me just say it again. I am in no way suggesting that we shouldn't stand for truth. But, but in Romans 14, verse 3, he says, do not judge the one who thinks it's okay to eat. And if you think it's okay to eat, don't despise the one who doesn't think it's okay to eat.
Don't judge, don't despise. Where are we? Chapter 9. We're covering a lot of territory this morning, but Scripture puts it best, so I'm using Scripture. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. That's what it's about. Amen? I made myself a servant. I don't know if you heard uh, Elder Finley's presentation yesterday afternoon, the middle session. If you didn't, go to Audioverse and listen to it. It is it's powerful. Be a servant to all. Verse 20. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are, under, who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Now, in light of what we've just studied, sort of let that marinate for a moment. Maybe if I find myself more, if we could use these labels, more on the conservative end of this discussion, whatever the discussion Lord, lead me that I don't unnecessarily cause offense to my brother or sister who is of what some would call a more liberal mind. Are you with me? Am I out of line here? Because we never forsake truth, but we want to remember the importance of the truth of loving your neighbor as yourself. That's truth too. So if I need to be a Jew to the Jew, be a Jew. If I need to be a Gentile to the Gentile, be a Gentile. Be what I need to be. Don't ever obstruct or damage your conscience before God. But, but we're a body. Notice chapter 10, verse 23. All things are lawful for me. But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let not, no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake. <laughs> don't you like that? Don't, just don't read the label, Right? Anyway, I just wanted to sit there and enjoy that a moment. Um, Verse 26. For the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. If any of those who do not believe invite you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no questions for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for conscience sake for the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. If the person puts the plate, now we're not talking about a pig here, are we? Thank you. Not talking about, we're talking about meat sacrificed to idols. Some would call those the gray issues, right? That's a dangerous term, but you understand what I'm trying to say. 
Just don't ask. If they tell you, oh, by the way, this was sacrificed to idols, don't eat it. It's clearly a test. Why? For conscience sake, for their conscience sake. They're watching. Now, where were we? Verse 28, 29. Conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? We're talking about winning souls for Christ inside and outside the church. Amen? Inside the church, winning souls for Christ. Verse, verse 30. But if I partake with thanks, why am I... Why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. I want you to be in heaven, don't you? I want, I want my whole church family to be in heaven. And you look at, you know, you look at your own church. What a diverse group, right? I want them all there. By the way, if I don't want them all there, don't worry, I won't be there, right? Notice, um, Notice where Paul goes in the rest of this, this book. I'm not going to take slides and put it on there, but, but I, I want you to notice where he goes with this. If you go to chapter 11, he talks about head coverings. I guess what we wear has something to do with it too. Amen? Notice verse 6, if you've got your Bible. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. It's not about me it's about you. Amen? You say, well, I, you're not about to wear blah, blah, blah. If it's going to mean a sister or brother is in the kingdom, I think we can make some adjustments to our wardrobes. Amen? If it's going to mean a brother or sister in the kingdom, you say, it's so trivial. Come on, that's minor in the, that's legalism. It's legalism to insist that you wear what you want to wear. Amen? I, all I care, all we should care about is that our brothers and sisters are in the kingdom. And if I have to dress a little different for their sake, praise God, heaven is cheap enough. Amen? Yes. Now, now, notice where Paul continues with this. The conduct of the Lord's Supper. Boy, that's a good one. I mean, look what he says. For first of all, verse 18, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I, in, I, in part, I believe it. <laughs> For there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. And one is hungry, another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you, or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. I won't even talk about potluck. <laughs> Have some etiquette, right? You can eat at home. 
fellowship dinner is not about the dinner, it's about the fellowship, right? I never liked the term potluck anyway. I mean, it should be fellowship dinner with the emphasis on fellowship. Notice chapter 12. And by the way, my heading in verse 27 there says, examine yourself. We all should do that. Verse 12, chapter 12, spiritual gifts, unity and diversity. This is the piece about, you know, we each have a part to play in the body of Christ. And we, we all are different in our roles, but we're one body. You understand that. But then notice chapter 13, the great love chapter. This is the context in which we read chapter 13. Love one another. Verse 4. Love suffers long, is kind. Love does not envy. It does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. Does not what? Seek its own. Does not seek its own. It's not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. Doesn't get excited that so and so is really going out there, you know? It, it, it's not interested in the gossip and the dirt of others. It says, I will become whatever within the Lord's design so that my brother or sister can have the kingdom of God. If Jesus was willing to garb himself in humanity, then, then must we not be willing to garb ourselves in the way that will reach our brother or sister? Amen. I, I'm talking, I'm using the t- t- ideas of food and, and dress, but let's face it, that's where a lot of people, I mean, you can talk about all sorts of things, sin and hell, talk about dress, and then everything breaks loose, right? Some things seem to get us excited. No, love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. Endures all things. Love never fails. Whether there's prophecies, they'll fail. Tongues, they'll, they'll cease. Whether there's knowledge, it will vanish away. For we what? This is so necessary for humility. We know in part. And we prophesy in part. Let us be humble in that. We only scratch at the surface. God has given us sufficient knowledge for the kingdom of God. And, and what you know and what I know may not be the same, but God knows the direction I'm headed. He knows my heart and he knows yours. And now abide faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. So, with all that said, notice, whoops, notice Jesus in Matthew 17 was willing to pay the tax. God provided the funds. He paid the tax so as not to offend. It, 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 it sent, in a sense, the wrong message if you understand what I'm saying, it, 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 it allowed them to continue in their blindness. Why? So he might reach them to show them the light. Amen. He, it was the way in which he did it that showed us the love and the compassion, the greater, the greater picture that Jesus did not offend. 
There's lessons all over the place for us, especially in light of what we're facing as a church in the midst of the controversy and the turmoil that we hear on the papers of our church. Help us, Lord. We must stand for truth, but Romans 14, 3 must be in our hearts. In fact, this is so pivotal when the church was trying to decide, you know, what, what do we need to just really make the bottom line? Notice, uh, sort of like a general conference session here, huh? For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit, to us, to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. <gasps> what? That you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you'll do well. Farewell. Really? Food, meat, sacrifice to idols? Bait it in the list? Because we are a body. We are to be united. Amen? We don't need this right now. Right? Amen? We've got bigger fish to fry. Don't cause your brother to stumble. In fact, notice this in Revelation 2. We're talking about the churches here. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to what? Eat things sacrificed to idols. In other words, it wasn't just the full-blown sexual immorality. It was the meat sacrificed to idols principle. When the meat sacrificed to idols is embraced, then it goes into full-blown idolatry. Sexuality. Amen? Are you with me? Verse 14. But I have a few things. Going back in the passage. But I have a few things against you because you are, you are those... Because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam. Who taught Balak to put a stumbling block... We know something about that now. Amen? Stum- offense. He, Balak put a stumbling block... Before the children of Israel... To eat things sacrificed to idols. To commit sexual immorality. You know, I hear this term. Well, it's not a salvation issue. It is. Don't you ever tell somebody it's not a salvation issue because it may be to them. Amen? And when you, when you start going down that path, well, it's not a salvation issue. It really means that, it really means that you're trying to, most likely, let's be honest. Read, you're not, none of us are good at reading our own hearts. Only God is. Most likely, we're trying to placate and we're trying to neutralize the sin so that we can enjoy it for a while. And when we go down that slippery path, it leads to commit sexual immorality, full-blown idolatry, blasphemy. This is serious. Matthew 18, 12. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the 99 and go... And go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying. Folks, remember the context. Matthew 18. He tells the story and he talks about later about the, um, the discipline in the church. This is all goes together. There's a place for discipline. Amen? Amen? Okay, okay. Just want to make sure we agree. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine... And go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying. And as the passage later says, you know, if, if you don't have success alone, then you bring an elder. But you go after that one. 
right? You go after that one. It may mean that you have to stay out late. It may mean that you have to inconvenience yourself for the conscience of that brother or sister, but you're going out to reach that lost sheep. Then it says, as if he should find, and, and if he should find it assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the 99 that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Not one. Stories told of a little boy that, um, a girl, I think it's a little boy. A little boy was out playing and lost the contact lens that he had in his eye. He looked around, didn't find the contact lens. He went into mama and said, mama, I looked and I, I'm so sorry, I lost the contact lens. Mama went out and looked in just a few minutes, she had the contact lens. He was flabbergasted. He said, how did you find that contact lens? She said, I wasn't, you were looking for a contact lens. I was looking for $150. Evangelism just doesn't work like it used to. It's hard these days. People just don't seem interested. I've tried. It may work in your community. It doesn't work in my... I've got... It's my patient, you know, and I... um, This is office business. That's church business. It's a soul for whom Christ died. It's not just the person with the uh, smell under his arms and the, the ragged jeans and the shirt that has that nasty logo on it. It's a soul for whom Christ died. It's a soul that has the potential to live for eternity in heaven. That person that, that just doesn't seem to fit in that's fl- frankly rather annoying, kind of like uh, what Dr. Guthrie shared the other night. Don't you want them to have eternity to behold the Lamb? Don't you want to have eternity to, um, to go and when trillions of years have passed to sit under the tree and to talk, to think that he came so close? Aren't you glad you took the extra time? Aren't you glad you made adjustments in whatever area of life that were necessary so that they could spend eternity in heaven? This is why we exist as a church. Let's not give ourselves up for debate. When the church is busy about evangelism, we can talk about it. We can hold, and I'm not, a, a love, amen. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I got to be careful here. But if, 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 if we just talk about fishing, you know the story? If we just go to seminars about fishing, but we never fish, it would make the bystanders scoff. We can do evangelism in this very hotel, Amen. There's been people walking all around. We can do evangelism in this very hotel. Radical love.
faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. You know, I love my wife. Good thing, right? Love my wife. She's beautiful. God made her for me and me for her. But you know, when we, when we got married, um, what, about 19 years ago, I guess, um, we, over time, have learned about things that um, are not necessarily wrong, but some things that I sometimes do, she doesn't prefer. And there's some things that she may do at times that, I don't, anyway, you understand what I'm trying to say. It's not necessarily about it being right or wrong, technically, but she doesn't like it. So, in love for her, I must relinquish. Right? Now, if we can do that for a spouse, can't we do it for a brother or a sister in the body of Christ? Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, we so need you. We want to um, ask for forgiveness for our selfish ways and our stubborn mannerisms that have insisted on our rights to the neglect of the betterment of our other, our other sister or brother. Lord, help us as a church, corporately, worldwide, to pause and reflect. Lord, may we, in love for you, love our brothers and our sisters as you love us. Pray for our leaders. Pray for Elder Wilson. Lord, give them courage, give them faith, give them strength to stand for right and give each one, wherever we stand on various matters or issues, Lord, please give us the spirit of love and compassion, not judging or despising, but loving one another for the kingdom of God. Help us to embrace a radical love that others may notice. And as you said in John 13, 34 and 35, that they will come to realize that we are your disciples. So cleanse us, wash us, help us to start afresh. And Lord, we love you. It's a childlike love, but we still want to tell you we love you. Come soon, we pray. Heal us, save us. This is our prayer in Jesus' sweet name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.